Reformed Church. Ephesians 1.15. Um, and you know, I am probably not going to do a whole lot of introductory talking here because what I want to say is really based on um, this passage initially. So Ephesians 1.15, King James Version. And if you're wondering why we read out of uh, King James, obviously you know that we kind of jump around. We read out of New King James and stuff too, but um, just get a word-for-word translation. It doesn't have to be King James Version. It could be New King James Version. It could be whatever. Um, there's a bunch of word-for-word translations if you want them afterwards, but um, we're not hung up on the King James. It just happens to be a word-for-word translation, and I picked that one because I'm like, it's very accessible. Lots of people can, uh, it's easily accessible. You can go to Walmart and get a King James Version. You can, it's, it's all over the place, so that's why we read out of this, but just get a word-for-word translation. So verse 15 says, um, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love unto all the saints, you know, faith and love, that goes back to obedience of faith there, but verse 16, he ceases not to give thanks for you, Paul speaking there, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, because he's just praying that the Father would give them uh, manifest sort of the spirit, the Holy Spirit of wisdom and revelation and to give knowledge of Jesus. In verse 18, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened so that you may know what's the hope of your calling, basically what you have to expect in your life, what are the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints, what you've got on the inside of you. And in verse 19, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward or toward us who believe? That's basically saying that you would also know the power that's at your disposal as a believer, that's toward you as a believer, um, which is according to or in proportion to in other words, the power that's toward you is in proportion to the working of his, of God's mighty power, which he wrought or worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that's named. So let's pause there for a second. Um, let's go back to verse 20. He talks about the power that's toward us who believe, right, which is in accordance with the power that was used in the body of Jesus when he raised him from the dead. We're, we're kind of right now putting out the resurrection handbook in article form right now. And, um, you know, that, that's a verse that when you read that, how many, how many people even quote that about uh, having the same, the, you know, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, you know, lives in me and resurrection power lives in me. And then so many people disagree, like certain things that we say about the resurrection of the dead here at this church are disagreeable to a lot of people um, or just not, like I'm not seeing that, but it's just so funny, like it's so popular even by a church that like doesn't agree with a lot of the manifestation of the power of God, and yet they'll quote all the time that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living on the inside of them, and then we disagree when God wants to give life to your mortal body. But I'm like, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, that's referring to power that gave life to his body. Like, he didn't die spiritually, he died physically. That power gave life to his body that was all torn up and raised him from the dead. And anyway, he's saying that that power is on the inside of you now. But here's the part I want to point out specifically tonight. It says that, and he set him, or sat him, sat Jesus at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Um, pastors actually talked about this in a, in a sort of a short message a while ago about the right hand. Um, but that's where Jesus is seated right now. And in particular, the way that he describes this, this position that God has given Jesus is this, this way. In verse 21 far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. That means Jesus has authority over everything right now. Every single thing. He says every name that is named, Jesus has authority over it. Okay? Um, that's a position that the Father gave Jesus when he raised him from the dead. And then it goes on to say, and not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Just to clarify even further that Jesus is in authority over all all things, anything that you can name, he has authority over it. Now, side note, that doesn't mean he's controlling everything. That's a total, dip. you got to listen to our Sovereignty of God teaching, you know, on Reform U for that. But, um, so that doesn't mean he's controlling everything. Hebrews 2 makes that very clear that not, we don't yet see all things subject or put under Jesus right now. We don't see that right now. The kingdoms of the world have not become the kingdom of our God yet, as it is stated in the book of Revelation. But, that aside, Jesus has authority over everything. Um, it'll be important for maybe certain points we make tonight that there is a difference, which I'm not really going to get into tonight. There's a difference between having authority over something 
and controlling something or reigning over something. It is just, it's, 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 the Bible makes a distinction um, uh, between, again, the authority you can have over something and then actually manipulating it, controlling it, or reigning over it. Okay. Um, again, I won't get into that much of that tonight, but the point is here, Jesus does have authority over everything over every name that can be named, and then he clarifies further, not only in this, in this world or in this age that we currently live in, but also in the one to come, meaning that this is not going to expire at some point. It will be an authority that he has over everything forever. All right? Um, I cannot stress enough for you to listen to the sovereignty of God teaching that we have online because um, what I'm saying right now is going to be interpreted by many people as Jesus controlling everything. But seeing all his authority, he goes on to it, uh, goes on to uh, more here in verse 22, and has put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Now, this verse in and of itself is not the verse I would use to prove anything in particular, but you already start seeing the verbiage here is a little bit, okay, you, you can kind of see what he's insinuating here or really saying outright. He says that, he has put all things under his feet. All things are under the authority of Jesus. And he gave him as the head over all things to the church. Now, I'll tell you what he is saying there. What he's saying here is that Jesus has received all authority on behalf of the church for the benefit of the church so that we would also receive that same authority as well. Now, I'm not, again, I have other verses to prove what I just told you, but that is what he's saying, okay? Um, I wouldn't use a verse like this to try to prove that point, but what he's saying here is that, because think about it, Jesus had authority over everything before he came as a man and died on the cross for us, right? He had authority over everything already. So um, why would he die only to be raised and receive the same authority he had before, the same glory that he shared with the Father before the world began? Why would he just, like, okay, I had all this before, I came, I died, and then I have all the same stuff again? Obviously, that wasn't for his benefit. What it's saying here is that he took that authority for the second time now, um, took that authority over again for the benefit of the church this time. The first time he had all authority before the world began, that wasn't for the benefit of the church because, one, the church didn't even exist before the world began, but even after Adam, his authority was not for the benefit of the church. It was his own authority. But here's the thing. When he came and died and became our sin and gave us the same righteousness that he has, now whatever Jesus gets is what we get. That's, what it's, that's what's called in the Bible being a joint heir with Christ. Or as he is, so are we in this world, as First John says, right? Um, the Bible talks about being heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ all in several places of the, in, in the New Testament in particular. So Jesus came, died, gave up all that authority that he had over all things, that position he had and was made lower than the angels. Then he died for us and took our sin, paid the price for our sin, so that now we have the same righteousness as him, the righteousness of God that is in Christ Jesus. And now, being just as right as Jesus is, now whatever he receives as our forerunner, we receive as well. And so anything he picks up along the way is something we can get too. So when he picks up and is seated at the right hand of the Father and picks up that authority, he's doing it for your benefit now. He's not doing it for his benefit. He had it before he went to the cross. He wouldn't have had to come and die just so that he, he didn't get more authority. So it's not for him, it's to the church. He picks up these things. Every time you see something in the resurrected Jesus, that's, that's something that's applicable to you as well. Again, you are a joint heir with him. So when he's raised from the dead and his body is perfected, now you can have a perfect body, okay? That's literally what's on the inside of you right now. When he picks up authority, that's something that now he's picking up as your forerunner to show you what you can receive. So that's what that's talking about there. He is head over all things for your sake. What does that mean? So that you are, and I know that this is going to offend a lot of people probably, that, especially people maybe listening online in the future, but so that you could be head over all things as well with him. And to prove that to you, he goes on and says um, that he became the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, that fills all in all. That means that we, the body of Christ, are filled with all of what he's filled with. We are the fullness of him who fills all of us. In all of us. That's what all in all means there. He fills all of us. In all of us. Fill, some people use that in weird, like, fills all in all, like he's everywhere. God's like in creation, in the trees. That, that's not what that means. He's talking about his body. He fills all of his body in all of his body. That's what that means. So, great. He's laid this out. He, he, he ends that chapter there by saying that we're his fullness. But then 
trail right on just a few verses later into chapter 2, Ephesians 2, 4. So we're kind of ending chapter 1 and we're going to chapter 2 now. This is just a few verses later. Ephesians 2, 4. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us or made us alive together with Christ. You see, together with Christ. After he died, now he picks up all this life and authority and wisdom and all this power. He's doing it for your benefit. Why? Because now we get it together with him. Every time he picks something up, every time, and he's not getting any more inheritance, but as that progressed and he was given inheritance after his resurrection, it said, or in his resurrection, it says here, we are now made alive or quickened together with Christ. So when he gets life from the Father, now he's doing it to the church so that we can get it together with him. And what's that life? What was that life given to? His dead physical body. Physical, 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 physical body. That's the part that people don't get is the physical part. He didn't die spiritually. So we are made alive together with Christ, meaning that you have life for your body and other people's bodies and physical things, tangible things, because life was given to his physical body. By grace you are saved, verse 6. And has raised us up together and, watch this, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. All in all, what that's saying is that we have the same position now together with him. Where was he seated before? Because this says here that we are made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Where was he seated? Ephesians 1.20. Throw that up there behind me again. Ephesians 1.20 explains the position that Jesus is seated in today. Whatever that position is is applicable to us because we're seated together with him. It says in verse 20, God set him or sat him at his own right hand in the heavenly places and then describes it as far above all principality, power, might, dominion, every name that's named. We are accustomed in the church, and you know what? I'm, I'm going to bring you into this uh, slowly, I guess you could say, and I'm going to explain myself and we're going to you know, be very clear so that people don't get the wrong impression, but what this is saying here is, because sometimes we only think about God as being head over all things, but God is head over all things, Jesus is head over all things, and he received that authority from the Father after having been raised, and all things, just so you know, literally means all things, all the universe, every single thing, every name that is named. But now we are seated together with him in that same authority. And that rocks the boat for a lot of people. People don't want to hear that I have the same authority as Jesus as a believer, but you literally have the exact same authority with no difference uh, as a believer. There's one exception to the authority we have, and that would obviously be the Father and the Son together because we submit to the Father and to his Son, Jesus. The same way that the Father, the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 15, the same way that the Father is accepted from Christ's authority and the Father is the head over Christ, People don't like that either, but that's literally a verse. Like that, that's in the Bible. That the just it says that the man is the head of the woman. That the father is the head of God is the head of Christ. So that aside, right? It's amazing how like you'll just like say a verse. And people, are, people that are like your Bible believing Christians are like offended that you literally just said it verbatim from the Bible. That's in the Bible. God is the head of Christ, and therefore Christ is the head over all things. But the Father is accepted from His authority. And likewise, we are head over all things with Jesus, and the only exception to that would be the Father and the Son from which we got our authority. Okay? That's the way that that works. We are head over all things. Now I'm going to explain to you what that means and um, what limitations there are on that and how that works, but that's the truth of the matter, though. Um, we are seated together in the same position that Jesus has today in his resurrection. Remember, he, he received that position to the church for our benefit. Um, similar... similar um, Verse here in Colossians 2.9. I'm going to read this real quick to you. Don't want to dwell on this one, but Colossians 2.9 through 10. It says, For in him, in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That just means uh, all the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. All right? Bodily. In his body. And then in verse 10, it says, And you are complete. And that word complete is really the word full. It's the related word where it says in the, in the previous verse. Go, just go to the previous verse again. Where it says, In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead body. That word fullness there. And then in verse 10, the word complete in verse 10, that word complete is the related word to fullness. So it means it's saying he's full of all of God bodily, and you are also full, meaning like insinuating with the same thing, full in him. So he's full of these things, and you're full of it too, right? Full of the same things that Jesus is full of, obviously. Not the same thing that, you know, 
some people these days are full of. You're full of what Jesus is full of. Um, and you are full in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Like what he's actually saying there, again, not a verse I would necessarily use as like the one-two punch, you know, here uh, for, um, for proving this point. But nevertheless, it says here, um, you are full in him. Who is the head of all principality and power? Meaning that he's full of these things, you are full of these things also. And guess what? He's the head of all principality and power, meaning that you are as well. And again, the better thing for this, the simpler way to put this is not the, this verse in Colossians, but what we just read in Ephesians uh, 1 and 2. That we are seated with him far above all principality and every name that's named. Over all creation, over all the universe. We have authority over everything with the Lord. All right? Um, now, with all that said, it, 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 what, we, what I want to get into also is what that authority does for us. Because... Um, there is a purpose for having authority over everything. And as I said, this doesn't mean just because we have authority over everything that we're using all of that authority to control things right now in creation. But the same could be said of the Father as well. He has full authority over all things, not controlling everything right now. Okay? Um, but let's look at Galatians um, 4.1. And this is the verse that is like, Man, this is, this is really something. It's a powerful way to put this, okay? A really powerful way to put um, the points I was just making to you from Ephesians and Colossians. For some background, this is talking about the Jewish people. And um, whether you realize this or not, uh, basically the Jewish people were chosen by God to um, bring the gospel to everybody else. God chose the Jews to give them the gospel first. Yes, the gospel of Jesus, believe that or not was given to the Jews. It's the same gospel that we hear today that was given to the Jews. And I could bring you back and show you uh, so many things in the Old Testament that they were taught the gospel that we're hearing today. The Jews were. Many did not believe it. But God chose the nation of Israel to bring that gospel to everybody else. Now, despite the fact that most did not receive Jesus when he came, um, the, the sort of remnant that did believe did actually bring that gospel to the Gentiles, to, to us, non-Jewish people. The apostles were Jewish, and they brought that out, and, and, and it came from there. So uh, from that standpoint, mission accomplished, but it was a remnant of, of people there. Um, side note here, um, there's nothing special about the nation of Israel than any other nation. Okay? They weren't chosen because of their nationality. Okay? I know today it's popular to, to choose people based on the color of their skin for different positions and things like that, and that, that's not... Um, it's important to know that God doesn't pick people for the job based on nationality or race or gender or anything like that, okay? He picks you based on qualification for the job, and the qualification for the Lord's job is faith, okay? And it was not, he did not pick Israel because of their nationality. He picked them because of the faith of their fathers, and that's provable from Scripture as well, especially from Deuteronomy. Um, he picked them because of the faith of their fathers. So God said, okay, this is the nation I'm going to pick. It, he did pick a nation, but he picked the nation because of the faith, Okay? Um, and he wanted that to spread from there. So because of that, though, the Jews were given first dibs on the gospel, and therefore were also given first dibs on the inheritance. The inheritance, even for those that didn't believe, they were, just because they were born of someone who believed, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were given first dibs on that inheritance, and it was just by nature, the Bible says, by nature, meaning by, by, by their physical flesh, because they were born of Abraham who believed, they were given first dibs on that inheritance. And what it says here, it says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. I mean, there's a lot of stuff here. But look at verse 1 again. When he says that the heir, the heir, like the one that inherits, he's talking about the Jewish people here. He says the Jewish people, as long as he is a child, he's talking about them when they first received you know, the, the gospel and therefore dibs on the inheritance. He says that the heir, the Jewish people, um, as inheritors of everything that Jesus was going to provide. He says as long as they are a child, that word child is the word infant, and if you look at our glossary, you know the word infant means lacking knowledge, right? As long as the heir is an infant or lacking knowledge, he doesn't differ anything from a servant or a slave, though he be lord of all. That's a powerful way to put the inheritance is being lord of all, okay? But let me get there in just one second. So he says, 
as long as the Jews, the Jews were heirs. They were made automatic heirs just by being, brought, being born of Abraham. That doesn't mean that they necessarily received these things, but they were given dibs on all this just by being born of Abraham, okay, because of his faith. They were chosen for this. But this is saying that the Jews under the Old Testament, under the law, it's true that they were given the gospel, but they didn't differ anything from a slave because they didn't understand the gospel, though they were given lordship over everything. So if you see what he's saying here, by they don't differ anything more than a slave, is he's saying that the Jewish people under the Old Testament, um, many didn't understand the gospel that they were given. They were given the oracles of God, the Bible says, the word of God, but they didn't understand it. So they went through all of the Old Testament working for God, being literally a slave to heaven. Okay, that is, that is prophesied. Even with Abraham and Sarah, uh, Ishmael is a symbol of the Jewish people who was a slave to Sarah, who represents heaven. Okay? I actually have a, I have a dog tag. Uh, if you guys see me wear a dog tag, it says Sarah's boy on it because that means heaven's boy. Because that's literally like Isaac is, uh, we're Isaac's, right? Like heaven's boy. And so uh, Ishmael and Hagar represent the nation of the Jews and they're slaves to Sarah. And so what he's saying here is, actually, he goes over this in Galatians. Um, I think the same chapter. But anyway... He says that though they were made heirs, they were lords of everything because they had given, God gave them all the inheritance right at their fingertips um, by giving them the gospel, by choosing the nation of Israel for this. And yet, though it says being lord of all, they didn't differ under the Old Testament any more than a slave working for God and, and trying to please him and trying to earn things from God. Even though they were lord of all, why? It says because they were infants. They didn't get it. They didn't understand the gospel that they were given. Therefore, they walked around like slaves working for God, even though there were lords over everything. But what does he mean by lords over everything? That's a pretty, listen, that is a hefty term. Because I, I will submit to you that not many people on this earth right now are using the term lord of all for Christians. And this isn't even talking about Christians. This is talking about people that were infants in their knowledge, but just people that were given dibs on the inheritance. He says they were lord of all. And if you're going to be offended at that, you're going to be offended at Galatians 4, verse 1. Because that's not me that said it. I'm only repeating it. Lord of all is the term he used for people that were given dibs on the inheritance, let alone a New Testament born-again believer. Lord of all. What could that possibly mean? Well, we already know what it means. Because even just from the verse I've already read you, that is the inheritance that Jesus was coming to provide for the Jews and has already provided for us. That we, would be set, uh, that we would be seated in the same position that he has, far above all principality and power and dominion, every name that is named. Over all things, king over all things, ruler over all things, having authority over all things. And you know what? Um, again, like I said, I understand that that would offend a lot of people. I'm not calling you Yahweh. I'm not saying you are the great I am. I'm not saying you created the universe. But I am saying that those that receive the inheritance, the Bible refers to them as being lords of all, over everything. Rulers over everything. That is not a term that is specifically used for Jesus. And there's not a whole lot of terms anymore for us that are specifically used to Jesus because we are joint heirs with Christ. The Bible actually says in Ephesians chapter 3 that we derive our name from the name of the Father. A name in the Bible is basically a label, how God labels you. Like if you've got some like jars at home or cracked stuff or food stuff or you put like a little label on it so you know its contents, right? That's what a name is so that you can understand the content. And uh, Jesus is called Lord of all, but the thing is we are named by Jesus. The name of God is now on us now. We derive our name from the Father. Well, why would we be labeled in so many ways the same way that the Father is and Jesus is? Um, because we have the same inheritance. So what is true of Jesus is true of us. The only name that the Father and Jesus would share that we wouldn't is that of a sanctifier. I mean, I, I could go on a tangent on this right now, so I'm going to try not to do that too much, but is that of a sanctifier? The Bible says that he who sanctifies, being Jesus, and those that are sanctified, meaning us, are all one. That means that we do share the same things with Jesus, but notice that Jesus has the role of sanctifier, and we have the role of sanctified. Jesus has everything that he has independent of us, and we have everything dependent on him. That's the only difference between us and Jesus and the Father. A name that we don't share with them is that of the provider. We are the, one, we are the receivers. He is the provider of these things. But as far as the content itself, 
there is no name that the Father and the Son share that we, we are not also named by. And I know that's a big thing, but that shouldn't offend anybody because that's the truth. What did you think being a joint heir meant? You think about that for a second. What's the use in calling yourself a joint heir with Jesus if you're going to get offended when someone names something Jesus has that you have too? I understand it's a big thing. I understand that. But uh, Jesus' work at the cross was a big thing. And that, that was his purpose. That was his purpose, that we'd have the same things he has. Um, so anyway, this is talking about the Jews here. There's more scripture I could give you for context on this verse. But he's talking about even just the Jewish people being given the inheritance and the gospel that the thing that they were being made heirs of was being made Lord of all. But because they were an infant and they didn't understand the inheritance, they didn't differ anything more than a slave. And you know what? That verse is not applicable to a believer because believers do differ from slaves. We are not slaves. But in our actions, though, unfortunately, this is how we act, though, too. Because whenever you are a child in your understanding, or better said, infant in your understanding, and that, that means in the Bible, that means you lack understanding. Um, Anytime you don't know what you have, a lot of times you walk around like a slave, even though you're Lord of all. That's how it works. That is how it works. You want to know why God doesn't control everything? Because not everybody knows what he provided. And the only way that God can communicate good things to undeserving people is that they know what his son did. That's called faith. There is no other just way to communicate those good things, and that's why, to answer my question from before, why God is not controlling everything today, mind you is because the good that God wants to do on the earth, he cannot snap his fingers and do it because that is unjust. The Bible says so, and how do I know? Because Jesus said he's the only way to receive from the Father. Romans chapter 5, verse 2. Jesus is the only access into the grace of God, and that's why God's not controlling things today, because we need to understand what we've been given, just like the Jewish people needed to understand what God provided for them before they receive it. Because if people don't understand, despite a God that has authority over everything, he cannot communicate these good things to you unless you put faith in his Son. And if you will remain an infant in your understanding, you will differ nothing from a slave, you could say in your actions at least, though you be Lord of all. And trust me, we have received this as believers. A lordship over everything, seated with him far above all, um, but you will walk around feeling sorry for yourself and just kind of going with the flow of earthly circumstances, like there's nothing you can do about it and nothing that's been provided and you will be depressed and you will be sad and you will, it, all of that comes with being an infant being an infant in your mind. The Bible says that preachers and pastors and teachers, that, that they're ordained to perfect the, mind, the minds of the church so that we're no longer infants tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, not knowing who we are in Christ, but that we can grow into a perfect man, an adult in our understanding, not just learning simple things from the Lord, but understanding the depth of really who we are. But if you don't do that, you're going to walk like a slave, and a lot of people, man... What, where are we at in the church today? We still think that serving God and working for God is something that we do and not the, something that the Holy Spirit does through us. We don't know about the obedience of faith. We don't know about the easy and light yoke. We don't know about all this stuff. And what are we doing? We're not living up to our potential as believers. And it's not because you didn't work hard enough. It's actually because you were working hard and working like a slave instead of understanding that you're Lord of all. God has given us man. Listen to this. God had to make a conscious decision to give you this stuff. You realize this? Like, he decided this. This isn't like, you shouldn't have this by yourself, right? The reason why God is just to bless you with this is because he decided for all of us in this room tonight and everyone listening online, I decide to share everything with you. I don't want anything that I have to not be shared with you. Uh, like, that, that, that represents the heart of God. Jesus tore that veil and made access to everything that he has. Hold nothing back. That is the love of God. I mean, I, I'm going to teach on the love of God at some point here, uh, do a series on the love of God and stuff. But, man, that is the love of God in the Bible, is to have shared everything with us. Not just that he gave us this glory, but he wanted to have it together. Let's be lords over the universe together. Let's be seated together. Let's be made alive together. Let's have all these awesome things and pleasures forevermore and fullness of joy, which is said to be at the right hand of God, together. That's, that's what, when you love somebody, you want to do things together. You don't want to just experience something, you want to experience something together. And I thank God that we don't have to depend on any other person for that, because you have that shared experience with the Father and with his Son at all times, together with them. 
You share that. You don't have to be longing for a, a person's a relationship with a person. It's true. When you love someone, you want to experience things together, but you have that togetherness and that unity and that oneness with the Lord, and he wanted that with you. You couldn't have made this up and just decided this. He had to decide it. He was the one that had something to give. And he said, I want you to have all of these things. That is, that is awesome. I mean, that is awesome. You have not been more loved than uh, being loved by the Father. So anyway, I want to show you that term, Lord of all. That's a term for the inheritance there. All right? Um, let me throw out two verses out, out at you, and then we're going to get into um, some, more, some more specifics on this with the time we have left. But 2 Corinthians 6.10 is a quick verse, and then we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 3. But 2 Corinthians 6.10, Paul is, um, and, and you know, before we even read this, let me remind you, you're a joint heir with Jesus. So how do you know what you, what you have? You have to look at Jesus. If you're a joint heir with him and he receives these things first, um, and obviously now, once we've believed, now we have joined him and received all these things as, as well, who do you look at to find out what you have? Jesus, not Paul, not Apollos, not anybody else. You look at Jesus, right? You're not a joint heir with Paul. True, you are heirs together with Paul, but we are joint. us and Paul are joint heirs with Jesus. He's where we are deriving our inheritance. Therefore, you need to look at Jesus, and specifically in him and his glory, to find out what you have. That's one of those simple principles that fixes a lot of wrong doctrine. A lot of wrong doctrine. Like that by itself, right? Knowing you're joint heir with Jesus. Um, and as he is, so are you in this world. That, like, makes it so simple to define your inheritance. And it also should eliminate a lot of offense. I know it won't, but should eliminate a lot of offense by people when you start naming things that Jesus has and then say you have it also. You're like, what? Like, everyone's shocked. And you're like, well, what? you've been saying you're a joint heir with Christ for, like, years. Like, what did you, what did you th- think that that actually meant? It would heal a lot of doctrine if we uh, adhered to certain simple principles like that. Joint heirs with Christ. But anyway, 2 Corinthians 6.10 says, As sorrowful yet always rejoicing. In other, he kind of says as sorrowful, like being perceived by people as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, and yet possessing all things. You, you're kind of getting what he means there when he says that him, uh, speaking about the, the, uh, the apostles, possessing all things. All things, every name that is named, has been put under our authority. And that's why when he says that he possessed all things, He's not leaving anything out there. This is joint heir with Jesus. Let me throw another verse out at you. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3.21. 1 Corinthians 3.21, it says, Therefore let no man glory in men. You shouldn't take any pride or, uh, in, in, in other men. It says, but all things are yours. For all things are yours. Now, this is the part that actually I don't even fully understand this, but I'm going to give you the verse anyway, because it's whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, which is um, Peter, another word for Peter, um, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, all are yours. Meaning you have authority over all things. Now the part that I don't understand fully here, he even names himself and Apollos and Peter as being part of the authority that these people had. So, you know what? It doesn't take away from my point because it actually adds more than I would even expect to see in this verse, not, not less. Um, so I don't understand that particular part, but I do understand that he says you have authority over all things, including, he says, the world... Life, death, things present, things to come, you have the authority to manipulate all of these things. You have authority over these things. Um, so with the verses I've given you so far, let, let, let's kind of get into some, some, the crux of this and the details. I've already given you the verses that I wanted to give you as far as our authority is concerned. So we're lords over everything with Jesus. We have authority over everything. What does that mean? What does that do? What does it do for me at my job? What does that do for me and my family? What does that do for me in life that I have authority over everything? Um, does that mean everything automatically goes my way? Does it like wh- what does that mean? What it means is, which I will show you, um, this ties. This is really um, some some different scripture that I use in like the revealing series. Uh, but what that means is, when you have authority over something, that simply means that whatever you manifest also goes to whatever you have authority over. That's that's a principle in the Bible. You can see that very clearly. Um, that what is manifest through you, what is sort of enveloping you. I'll clarify this in a second, also get shared with what you have authority over. And so, very quickly, we already know this at this church, that Adam was the one that sinned. The little bunny rabbits and, you know, the squirrels and the little animals and plants and everything in creation, wasn't, they didn't sin, right? And yet, death, like now animals die, right? 
Now, there's corruption throughout the earth in general. Um, it's a little bit different for plants, but I won't get into that right now. But corruption spread through the earth. Um, and also, people even that were born after Adam also were subject to death apart from Jesus. But you can see that even though Adam is the one that sinned, Adam died, that spread to everything after. It spread to all creation. Uh, Romans 8 says that all creation was subjected to futility. Futility, if I had more time, I could show you that that actually is a word for, for death. Creation was subjected to futility. So you can see there, Adam was given authority over the earth in particular to subdue it. And therefore, when death began working in him, that spread to all creation. That's why things die today, even though they don't have to anymore, which is kind of where I'm getting to right now. Adam had authority over the, over the earth. I don't have uh, any evidence that he had authority over anything else beside the earth, right? It, the Bible says that he had authority over the earth specifically, not over all things, not over the universe, not over all of that. Um, but with that said, um, Adam having authority over the earth, the earth received what was working in him. We've used examples in the past about Joseph too, right? Potiphar's house um, was in a particular state. Joseph came. Potiphar put everything under Joseph's authority. And when he did that, from the time that he put everything under Joseph's hand, Potiphar's house prospered for Joseph's sake. You see, if something submits to you, you can give it life. Whatever's working in you comes to the things that submit to you and or the things that you have authority over. Okay? That's how that works. So that's why from the time that Potiphar's house was put in Joseph's authority, it prospered. From the time that death began working um, in Adam, it also went to the things he had authority over. Um, there's a lot of examples like that in the Bible. But if you go to Romans 8, Romans 8, verse 19. I'm going to read this out of the New King James Version. just has some words in it that are a little easier to understand. King James says creature, but it's the word creation, so I'd rather just read it in the New King James for you. Romans 8, 19. There's a lot of context to these verses, but it says, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of, of the sons of God. King James says the manifestation of the sons of God. Again, a lot of context. He is using this passage in particular to make a, to make a, a, a particular reference to the end of the age, okay? But this is a principle that holds true. I'll show you why. It says, creation waits for the revealing of the sons of God. That means that all of creation is in anticipation for the life of God inside of you to manifest. Why, what would that have to do with creation, right? What would that have to do with all created things? Uh, the life of God manifesting forth from you. Like, what does one thing have to do with the other? Well, when you know the principles that we've just been laying out, it has a lot to do with creation, right? If death manifested through Adam and it went to creation and killed creation, you could say, it would, it would have a lot to do with creation as a whole because uh, uh, when you have authority over the whole universe, if you manifest the life of God, creation also gets it as well. It has a lot to do with creation. When, when life manifests forth from you, creation gets it also. The things around you get that life also. And that's why it's saying it's, it's waiting for your revealing, for, your, for you to manifest. But it says, for the creation was subjected to futility. The verse actually I was just reading, uh, quoting to you. Creation, creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. But look at verse 21. Because the creation itself will also be delivered from its bondage to corruption... And actually, if you notice, just real quick, go to verse 20 again. What was it subjected to? Futility. Futility, it says. Um, but that means like inutility, not uselessness. And then in verse 21, it says, because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption. You see, corruption, decay. That's why I was telling you the word futility there means decay or corruption, because first it says it was subject or, or, or bound to futility, and then over here it says it's it's in the bondage of, not futility, but corruption. But with that said, it will be delivered, from, creation will be delivered from its bondage to corruption into what? The glorious liberty of the children of God. Liberty from what? What, do, what liberty do the children of God have? Liberty from corruption. What kind of corruption? Spiritual corruption? No, physical corruption. How do I know? Because creation is in this corruption that it says that 
we're free from. You understand what I'm saying? There's a corruption in creation, like the physical stuff, like the stuff that you can touch, that kind of thing, right? I know we spiritualize everything, but the physical stuff, creation is under bondage to this physical decay, physical decay. And it says it will be delivered from it once it gets your liberty from what? From that corruption. What it's saying here is we're already free from that corruption, and creation will also get it. That's why it says it will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption, meaning also in addition to you, you're already free from corruption. Creation will also get that liberty and that deliverance once what? Once you're revealed. Once you're manifest, it gets your liberty. Notice it didn't say that, it didn't just say that creation will be relieved from its bondage of corruption into glorious liberty. Notice it didn't say that? It said it will receive your liberty, right? It'll receive your freedom from corruption, meaning it's not its own freedom. It just receives your freedom when it's manifested. Hence why in verse 19, creation is waiting for what? For you to be revealed because you have authority over it. And when you have authority over something and you manifest something, creation gets it too if you have authority over creation. So you, you kind of see what's going on here? It gets your liberty. That's why it's so important that we have authority over everything. Because whenever life manifests forth from you, all of creation gets it as well. It's healthy for creation, for you as a believer to have authority over. It's healthy. I can't even imagine, I don't even think the earth would exist right now if there weren't any believers on the earth. I understand a lot of, you know, quote-unquote intelligent people and uh, scientists and things would probably beg to differ on that, but, um, but that's the truth. Creation is benefited because we have authority of it. Now, obviously, the problem is here is that the church doesn't know a lot of what they have, so then you're not manifesting certain things because, you know, you're acting like a slave even though you're Lord of all and you don't understand these things, so you, therefore you're not going to be able to use them. But for those that understand these things, when you manifest it, it goes to creation. Creation, again, is able to live because you have authority and then you manifest that life. Um, with that said, I think this will probably be, maybe, maybe, no promises, but my last passage I read you here because I want to explain a little bit of this to you. But Romans 5.21, let's look at Romans 5.21, and then I'm going to bring you up to verse 17. So knowing these principles here, if you were to ask, what does having authority over everything do for me? That means it changes circumstances around you. It doesn't just change you. It changes things that are subject to you. Again, it's healthy for the house you live in, for you to manifest the life of God. It's healthy for your clothes, for you to manifest the life of God. I mean, this is what Israel, even in the, in the wilderness, right, where they, uh, their clothes didn't wear out, their feet didn't swell all the 40 years in the wilderness. That'll save you some money. Your clothes not wearing out, although for, for some people, some people just buy clothes just for the sake of buying clothes anyway. So. <laughs> but, um, but that aside, though, um, it, it benefits creation when life is given to create. It, it benefits your pets. Um, we, um, we had a dog one time, too, where he had this thing. I won't even explain explain the problem. It was kind of a graphic and a graphic problem in, in an inconvenient area of his body as well. And um, suffice to say, it was something popping and there's this stuff going on, right? So that happened one time and we prayed over him and um, the vet had told us, like, this is going to keep happening. Once that happens, once it's going to keep happening. And we prayed over him and it never happened again. But I'm just saying it benefits your pets. You could raise your pets from the dead. It benefits anything in creation around you. But thinking a little broader, it benefits the whole world. It benefits the universe because you have authority over these things. And the more you understand what you have in Christ, the more it flows forth from your belly, right? John 7. When you believe it, it flows from your belly. The more it flows from your belly, the more creation gets benefited from it. And this changes stuff, okay? Like stuff that would have happened never happens. This is why you have to understand even as a believer. Sometimes believers, we get into this like, what's the Lord been doing in my life recently? And I'm not sure the power of God's even working and all this stuff. But, um, man, there are things that you've been protected from that you don't even realize you were protected from that would have happened. 
I think we, we almost like, like, it's almost like we feel like the bad thing has to happen to us for us to kind of get healed of it or get delivered from it externally or something before we're going to real, but that's just being carnally minded. You have to know if you know Jesus, the power of God's working through you. And man, I can't tell you, again, these are just examples I'm giving you, right? It's true because of the word of God, not because of these examples, but I've told you guys before, we have seen people come to this church, be like, wow, man, I love the message, love the message, love the message. Okay, they're coming, they're learning, they're growing, great. They leave, and I'm telling you, there is a sanctification that they were even receiving. Clearly, they didn't have a full assurance for themselves, but there was a sanctification they were even receiving. Sanctification meaning like a setting apartness from the world that they were receiving even as they were just coming, and then they stopped coming, and I'm telling you what, in like short while, you look at them, they look physically like ragged. They, they look like, man, like you've been dragged through the mud in life. And they didn't look like that, like whatever, two weeks ago when you were coming to church, and all of a sudden you see them out, and you're like, man, like life's been rough to you all of a sudden. And it wasn't like, you know, let me just tell you, there are benefits to the life of God in you, and then also to things around you. It, it, it changes events, it changes circumstances, that like stuff that like you would, you would have gone through. This was your timeline here. You ever see like in like the sci-fi films where they have like the timeline and then they, they go back in time and change something and then it changes the timeline and it branches off or something like that? It's not quite like that, but it's like you can change what would have happened, right? God has prophesied so many things against Nineveh, against Ahab, against different people that when they change their belief, it changed the, the outcome. God God knows all the what-ifs. He knows if you continue where you're going, that's what's happening. And if you change something, then guess what? You get, it's not that God changed his mind. It's that you changed your mind. You changed your mind, therefore God changed the prophecy because you changed your mind. You're the one that changed here, right? Uh, so, so anyway, that's a real thing. And in, in Romans 5.21, it says that has, as sin has reigned unto death, obviously through Adam, through him and then all, to all creation, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. This is basically, when it says grace would reign through righteousness, it's basically talking about the life of God. Um, grace here is, I believe, talking about the life of God that would reign through righteousness unto resulting in eternal life for our bodies, eternal life being manifest through us. So that's what reigns over us. Eternal life reigns over us. And we can, we can utilize that more and more as we believe. What happens when eternal life reigns through us? Well, it also goes to what you have authority over, right? Well, look at verse 17. Look at verse 17. Verse 17 says, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, death reigned over all things uh, by, uh, uh, or over all creation by Adam, much more they which receive the abundance of grace, which I believe is talking about the life of God there, abundance of grace, and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. This says that when the life of God reigns through you and starts controlling things through you and manifests through you, the result is that you end up reigning in life. Now, this, this, I understand that many people think that that means reigning in your life. Like, you know, in your life, you can reign, but that's not, that's not what that means. This is talking about reigning over all creation in the life of God. Life of God is kind of like saying like the power of God in a way, right? Life means in the Bible like power that makes something active, right? Makes it, like death is something that makes something inactive, uh, life makes it animate, active, right? Um, energetic, strong, right? So reigning in life here is talking about, now, he, here's where I kind of want to start wrapping things up here. But this is the, that's the verse I was meditating on right there, was about reigning in life. And I thought, okay, let me think about this for a while. I'm just, just kind of mulling this over in my mind. Reigning in life, reigning in life. Okay, this word reign here, what this is talking about is, this is talking about actually, controlling things in the life of God. Again, we have authority over everything, but just because you have authority doesn't mean you're controlling things, right? It doesn't mean you're using that authority just because you have the authority. But reigning in life here, he's talking about that we would actually, we have authority over it, but that we'd actually start reigning or controlling things in creation, controlling things in the life of God, forcing things to live, things that wouldn't have lived before, that would not have been empowered before, that because we have authority over it and we understand our authority, okay, understand that you're Lord of all through Jesus. When you get that and actually receive that and grow in that and mature in that and also mature in the life of God that you have and the righteousness you receive through, just understanding your inheritance, you can begin 
controlling things in the life of God. Manipulating circumstance to force it to live, to force it to be empowered. Things that are unfortunate, you can reign over those things to change them, to change the outcome of those things. Now, this is not something, you know, reigning in life and controlling things. I'm not talking about, you know, holding out your hand and you shaking and seeing a, a beam come out of your hand or something like that. And I'm not saying you couldn't do that. I'm just saying that's not what I'm referring to. And using your authority also has nothing to do with prayer, by the way. It has nothing to do with you using authoritative sounding words. Prayer helps your faith. It helps you understand your authority. helps you remember your authority. But that's not how you use your authority. As with everything, you use your authority. You use your, the life of God. You use the love of God by knowledge. The Bible says that things are made effectual by the acknowledging, right? Philemon 1.6. Your authority is made effectual by acknowledging it. Period. There's not like step one, two, three, four. No. Prayer is great. I'm not going to teach on prayer right now. That helps you receive, but that's, that is not how you use your authority. Purely by knowing it, by just understanding your authority in the life of God that you have, you actually begin to reign over creation in the life of God. That means it changes worldly circumstances. Um, the way that I, start, as I started meditating on these things, I started, I, I would sort of describe, I was sharing this with Pastor Zane and Ms. Kim as well, the way I would describe it was sort of, I was picturing like the like earthly circumstances like, like a river. And I just feel like most Christians kind of go with earthly circumstances wherever they're kind of going. And, and a lot of Christians to varying different degrees will believe that God will help them out. Um, unfortunately, not very much sometimes with a lot of believers, but even for believers that believe that, no, I can prosper though. Like, I can legitimately prosper. I'm a tree planted by a river of water. You know, I can prosper even when heat comes and all that. Um, some Christians legitimately believe that, but still kind of see the earth as going its course. Like, earthly circumstances happen, and they just happen, right? I mean, it just, you know, it's earth. We live in a fallen world. They happen, you know? And I'm kind of in the boat just going along for the ride in earthly circumstance. Earthly circumstance wants to go this way? Well, then that's, that's where I'm at. That's where earth took me. You know, earthly circumstances turns for the worse or for the better, and I'm kind of doing that, but God will help me through the whole thing. But you're kind of in the boat, right? You're kind of like, even, there might be various different degrees of prosperity that you can experience in the boat, right? But you're still going over the course of earthly circumstances, right? That, I feel, is where most believers are. Reigning in life, mind you, what do we have authority over? Over all principality, power, dominion, every name that is named, Lord over all things. All things are yours, whether life or death, to manipulate these things, right? Over all things in this, in this universe, we have authority over. Um, with that said, when he talks about reigning in life, he's talking about the ability to be able to make things live, to control things in creation, to manipulate things in creation, to force them to live. That is not the same thing as earth gets to do what it wants, and I'm just kind of in it, and God help me in it. That's, no. That is not the earth dictates to me where it wants to go. Me reigning over creation means I dictate where the earth goes, okay? Now, there are limitations to that because this is only applicable to things that pertain to you, and God knows how to do this, okay? There are people all through this earth that shut themselves off from the life of God, aren't willing to submit to you and what you say or to what God says. And therefore, they are shut off and alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. I believe that's Ephesians chapter 4. But that aside, they are shut off from the life of God. That means that the whole earth cannot be recreated right now for as long as people that don't believe are on it. Because they're shut off from the life of God. The life of God can't move in all things pertaining to them. But I'm talking about in all things that pertain to you. And I'm not just talking about in this country. I'm talking about all things in this entire world that could possibly affect you in any such way or any person or thing that would submit themselves to you, even if people that aren't believers but just will submit to you and your authority, like Potiphar. He, his earthly circumstance in his household was changed because he was willing to submit to Joseph. So the limitations on this are with other people, as it pertains to them. But I'm not talking about them right now. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about what you have in Christ. I'm talking about all circumstances across the entire planet and across the entire universe that pertain in any such slight, slight way to you. 
you are able to not go with the flow of the earth and earthly circumstances just happen and you're always just taken with it and God is helping you in the earthly circumstances that you can't help but go along with. This is literally talking about that you can change the course of the earth. And how could you not? What's the point in having authority over creation if you can't do anything with it? Can we think about that for a second? Even if someone doesn't agree with me just off the bat, right? And you know what? Everybody has the right to be wrong, so I will give you that right as well. But even if you didn't agree with me just off the bat, seeing all the authority in the verse that I've just given you so far about us seated with Christ and everything, what exactly is the point of having the authority? What do you do with it, right? I've already given you enough detail on what can be done with it. But um, even from Romans 8 and explaining how that happens with the life of God, but reigning in life means that you can change earth. You can, I mean, for that matter, things outside the earth. You can change the course of the way that things go, forcing it to live. You can instill life and godliness in the earth, because we have all things that pertain to those two things, right, and nothing more. But forcing things to live, forcing things to come into order, which would be on the godliness side, uh, the same way that the new earth will be, it says that the, the, uh, the new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells, right? In other words, it's, everything's in order. It happens the way it should happen. This is what happens. Stuff gets put under your hand. We have authority over all things. You can instill that righteousness and life into things which manipulates and controls and changes the course of the earth. Earth doesn't just go wherever it goes, and we have no say over that. Through strict and uh, uh, strictly believing, strictly knowing Jesus and understanding these things, you're actually sharing the life of God with creation, forcing things to live that otherwise would not have lived, and therefore changing the course of history in the process. That's literally what you're doing. That's not, you know, hyperbole. That's not an exaggeration. That's what's going on. And man, I started thinking about this, and I was like, holy moly, this is something that I never, like, I didn't see... I, I understood these things to some extent, but there is a scope here that I started thinking about and started making applications to it. And then naturally, I start thinking about the last days, because we're in the last days. And I start thinking about the prophesied tribulation of the last seven years, and I start thinking about these things. And I'm like, holy moly, the Bible talks about all this stuff that happens in the last days. And I thought, you know what, Lord, because you have given me lordship over all, and I can reign over creation, I have say, by my belief only, I have say over what creation does as it pertains to me, and I can force creation to live instead of suffering the effects of tribulation. And I started meditating on this, and I realized, this is my announcement of my realization here on, on this particular subject, I can change the tribulation of the last days. And every single one of us can say that, because we're lords over all things, and because we have the life of God, Unlike the Lord Adam, who had lordship over the earth and made it all die because he sinned and brought death in, you've been given righteousness and grace, that life that can, be, that can reign through that righteousness, as we were learning recently, and dictate how the earth goes regarding you. You will encounter tribulation in the world because the world is going to be the world, right? The world is going to do its thing. And a lot of that means shutting themselves off from the life of God. So be the world. But the thing is, I get say over how the earth goes pertaining to me. Um, and I just had, did not realize that scope. Again, it doesn't mean that, every, that you're going to be able to force everybody to like you all of a sudden, and no one is ever going to oppose you, or any of that. But even people's opposition to you who are shut off from the life of God, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 54, said that surely they will gather together, meaning that they will oppose you. They will gather to oppose you, but they will fall for your sake. See, people, people will want to oppose you, and things will happen in the earth, you know, to try to stop you in different ways. But that does not mean it has to affect you. There's a difference between there's tribulation in the world, and I will encounter tribulation in the world, versus I have to be affected by it and cannot be kept from it, and cannot, check this out, when you reign in life, this creates like, I'm not saying you see this in full in your life, I'm saying you can okay? Reigning in life, he didn't say those words for no reason. You can change circumstances around you to force things to live. And I'm like, I start thinking about the tribulation in the last days, and, and I'm like, Lord, 
if I believe you, I'm Lord over this stuff. What am I thinking? I'm, I'm, am I going to live like a slave to the earth and just think, well, the earth's going to go through tribulation. What do, who am I, right? Who am I? I'm like Jesus. That's who I am. That's not of my doing. That's not a boast of myself. It's the boast of the cross of Christ. I didn't receive it because I did something awesome. I sucked at everything. God came around and, and Jesus did an awesome work. I, I received these things through his obedience at the cross. But that doesn't mean I'm any less Lord of everything because of what he did. I, have, I am able to reign over creation, make it live. In a time where things aren't living, I can make it live. Why? Because of what Jesus did for me. That life reigns through me. I have authority over this thing. There. It is dictated to now and forced to live. It creates like a haven. In the last days, I'm like, Lord, we can create a haven for people to run to. I want what they have. Can I tell you something? After thinking about all this stuff, I've already taught a series on the last days already. You realize this, though. This is prophesied. I'm not, I'm not trying to weird anybody out here, but this is actually prophesied in the Bible regarding the last days. You start putting things together. Like, you said that we were going to do this, Lord. Um, I'll give you the verse where it is. It may, it's not going to help someone a whole lot if you don't know the symbolism, but I'll give you the verse where it is. Um, it's, it's in uh, 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 Genesis 41, 54. Man, there's a whole, I have like the, the Joseph timeline and stuff um, online, so I'd encourage you to, to look at that. I just need a couple more minutes to finish this message. I'm just about done right now. But, but that's where the verse is that's actually prophesied all in all. Um, Egypt represents the Gentiles. Jacob represents the people of Israel. The sons of Jacob represents the people of Israel. Um, and um, basically, in Egypt, which would mean amongst the Gentiles, it says, in the seven years of famine, if you could throw the New King James Version up there for me, in the seven years of famine, which represents the seven years of tribulation in the last day, it says, in Egypt, meaning amongst the Gentiles, if you don't know, bread means life in the Bible. The seven years of famine began to come, and as Joseph had said, the famine was in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt means amongst the Gentiles, there was bread, there was life. That's what that means. And I'm telling you right now, the significance of this understanding we're talking about right now, that happens because of what we're talking about right now. That's why that happens. Because we get to realize something that Jesus already did that a lot of the church don't get. I can dictate things to live. Um, and when you do that, like I said, that will create something of a haven for people that don't even believe the Lord to say, you know what? Something different going on there. It's not just you. It's not just that you can live. You can live, certainly. Of course you can. But it's, you have authority. The branches of that authority extend far and wide, and you can give life to things around you automatically, it's not like any harder now. Like I said, this is not something you have to like physically do. It manifests to it by you believing these things and making it effectual. I'm like, Lord, we can change this. If we will believe these things and tap into this, gosh, I don't want to live like a slave anymore. Gosh, I don't want to live under my potential. I want, I want to walk in everything that Jesus paid for me to have. And if he said I can live, then I can live. And if he also says that my authority extends to all things, and I can reign over all of creation in the life of God, forcing it to live, dictating to it to live. This is not a democracy. We are lords over these things. We can dictate things to live. And if I can do that, I don't know about you, I don't like tribulation. I don't like trouble. If you like trouble, you can go through trouble. I don't like trouble. God doesn't like trouble. He came to redeem me from this world of trouble. He don't like it. He don't like it for me. I don't like it for me. I don't like it for other people. So I know I'm not alone in this, but I'm like, shoot, if I was, then I'll believe it. <laughs> then, then I'll believe it. You do your tribulation thing then. Then I'll make things live just by easy and light, just by believing something that Jesus already provided for me 2,000 years ago. He did all the heavy lifting, all of it. We're believing something, and I can reign there for all this. It changes your perspective. I mean, like, man, you're in the top of the food chain position here. You can't get any higher in position. God has given you a position above every single name. That is an honor. You should feel honored. You shouldn't just feel loved by God. It's the love of God that drove him to do this, but you should feel honored and respected by God. He respects you. You are a respect, respectable person before the Lord, and he has honored you with um, this authority and the ability to reign over these things if we would just receive what Jesus has done.
and believe these things. It's awesome. It's awesome. And like I said, the last days, I'll tell you right now, I'll tell you, I'm that confident about these truths. The last days is going to go a lot different than what people think. As long as it pertains to me and anyone else that wants to join me in believing it, it's going to go a lot different than what people have thought. This ain't going to be your Left Behind movie. This is going to be a haven of life dictating this, this, anything in our vicinity for those that believe. It'll be a haven of life for people to run and escape from tribulation and from the seven years of famine and say, but there's bread amongst those Gentiles over there. I wonder who the Gentiles are. I want, there's bread over there. There's life with the Gentiles. You want to know something funny? I'm stopping right here. The, even your average theologian knows about that in the last days, the Bible says that the Jews will be moved to jealousy. That's how the Jews get saved in the last days. It's going to be sort of a revival, and that's okay to use it in this term because these are unsafe people I'm talking about. There will be a revival, literally, a, a giving of life amongst the Jews in the last days. They're going to, a lot of Jews are going to come to Jesus. And the Bible says specifically the way that happens is through jealousy. Um, but most theologians don't really know what that means. Um, what are they being jealous of? Well, that actually, that symbolic account, it's a, it's a symbol of the last days there, shows that the sons of Jacob go to buy bread from the Gentiles in Egypt. Um, and uh, you could say they're moved to jealousy, but why are they jealous in the last days? What are the Jews jealous of in the last days? Because they see there's bread over there and we're suffering over here. They say, why should we sit here and die in the seven years of tribulation when they got bread over there? They're literally moved to jealousy. Listen to this. The Jews in the last days are moved to jealousy to eventually receive Christ because of the reign of life that they see amongst the Gentiles going on during the seven last years of tribulation. That's what actually moves them to jealousy. But don't know about you, never heard of a, of a, of a year, uh, seven years of prosperity prophesied for the last days. Never heard that. But guess what? You shouldn't need that prophecy, though. Because God already told you you could reign in life. So we would be just silly people to assume that you couldn't live at any point in time. Because uh, we're not of this world. We have reign over this world, right? Awesome stuff. You can reign in life. So you can see why I'm realizing, I'm like, I can change this. Like, we can just believe this stuff and change everything that people think is going to happen. I can change it as, as long as it pertains to me. I can change all these things. Make these things live. It doesn't have to be that way. And it's like that with, 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 with so many people's lives right now. They're going through things. You don't have to go through that. You just don't have to go through it. Just start believing and start learning. Come to Reformed Church. Come Sundays. Come Wednesdays. And get this knowledge because that's what we're preaching here. That's what this church stands for. And this church is going to make a difference in the last days. It literally just prophesied something about Pastor Jose and myself and the whole, uh, just, um, what was this? Um, last Wednesday. Finishing the temple and that whole stuff. That's what, that, that's, what, that's what we're doing here. That's what we're doing here. That's what we're all a part of as we believe these things. So it's cool stuff. It's cool stuff. How about that? We can, we can live and force other things to live that pertain to us. Reign in life. We hope you enjoyed this message from Reform Church. If you have, please share this with someone else and help us get this uncommon truth out to the world. If you'd like to support this good news, you can do so at reformchurch.com give. Also on our website, you can take advantage of our free messages, articles, and even full discipleship courses. Start reforming your mind now at reformchurch.com.